Welcome to the Skiffy and Fanti Show. I'm Sean. I'm David. And today we have three very special guests today. We have Stephen Graham Jones. Hello, Stephen. Hello. I'm Stephen Graham Jones. I write a lot of horror novels. I live in Boulder, Colorado. I'm Blackfeet, born in Texas. Excellent. Uh, and our next guest is Darcy Little Badger. Hello, Darcy. Oh, hello. Um, I'm actually a Lipon Ap- Apache writer and scientist. I guess it's Dr. Darcy Little Badger now because I do have my PhD uh, since December. Uh, I write a lot of short fiction. Um, I write some comics. Genres vary, but I, I have put out a couple of short horror stories this year. Um, and I'm excited to be on the show. Excellent. Fantastic. And our last guest is Nathan Adler. Hello, Nathan. Hi. <laughs> I'm a writer, um, uh, Anishinaabe, a member of the uh, Lactam Lac First Nation in Northern Ontario. I wrote a novel called Rift. It's an indigenous monster story written from the monster's perspective. I've also written some short fiction and some nonfiction too. Awesome. So uh, as it should become clear for listeners, uh, we're here to talk about a very particular topic. Uh, the title for this episode is going to be Indigenous Representation in Horror. But before we kind of get into that specific topic, uh, David did want to start with a somewhat more general question about horror. So I would turn that over to David. Well, I wanted to ask uh, each one of you a two-part question. First, what does horror do for you? What you know, what do you enjoy uh, about it? And then, or then secondly, what do you hope to do for or to horror? Horror makes me feel alive when I read it. I feel my blood pumping, my chest thumping. I feel like there are teeth out in the darkness wanting, wanting me, and that feels good to be, I don't know, part of part of the world like that, I think. As for what I like about writing horror, I like I like being able to scare people. I'm a person who like I like to hide around corners with a mask and scare, you know, my family or my dogs or whoever. <laughs> Excellent. And and horror gives me, you know, it gives me a license to do that. So it's really fun. <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, perfect. So uh, what about you, Darcy? Uh, I guess it's it's kind of the same way with me. Like, I've always been a horror fan ever since I learned how to read, like, in kindergarten. I think that was, like, around when Goosebumps was popular. I mean, I would just, like, read every Goosebumps book. And it is the way it makes me feel. I enjoy that kind of tingle. Sometimes when I when I read a really good horror story or see a really good horror movie, it scares me so much I get tears in my eyes. So I always am looking to kind of recapture that feeling as a as a fan, a consumer of media. Um, what I'd like to do to horror is I'd really like to creep people out in uh, kind of new and unique ways. Hopefully, I'd make the horror genre a better place of my input. <laughs> Awesome. Excellent. Uh, and then lastly, uh, Nathan, what about you? I think what draws me to horror is probably like the outsider's perspective. 
Like, I don't know, like if when you're, when I was a teenager and I just felt like a freak and I felt different, but then I read like stories like, I don't know, the vampire Lestat and it's written from the monstrous perspective and then you just, it just, you're coming at it from a kind of a skewed perspective and I always found that really appealing. The other half of the question was... Uh, what would you like to do with it? I guess just bring a different perspective to it. That makes sense. I suppose the first question I want, you know, on the on the topic itself is more to do with kind of the problems that horror has had in representing indigenous groups, broadly defined. I know David and I were talking about this, that a lot of horror movies, and I know Nathan, on, on the earlier podcast, you had talked about this as well, that a lot of horror movies sort of present indigenous mythologies or, or ideas or concepts as things that just sort of exist, but don't really present them as necessarily a major component of the narrative or don't really address them. And I know, Nathan, that's something you had kind of mentioned, you know, with, with things like Poltergeist or The Shining, where it's sort of like this thing that, as I believe you said, adds flavor but isn't actually integrated into the narrative and i was hoping you could talk a little bit about that and then kind of we could get other perspectives on kind of that issue of presenting and representing indigenous people voices culture etc in horror itself yeah i guess like a lot of like like mainstream horror it's just like oh the house was built it built on like an indian burial ground or something and it just kind of like a plot point but it just mentioned really quick and then they never really address any thing and then a lot of horror is about fear right so it's um about white fear and like euro european canadian or european american fear of the other which isn't native american or indigenous right so then if you're coming at it from indigenous perspective you're not going to think of the indian ground as like this other place you can think about it about about it as like where your parents or grandparents or ancestors are buried, which is a completely different perspective about a haunted house that's built on your land where your ancestors are buried because that imposition of the house on top of, a, of the land is um, it, it, you're, the ghosts are going to be like your ancestors, basically. So that's a radically different way of approaching that kind of storytelling, I think. I guess kind of building on that point, it is one issue is that what I consume the most are short horror fiction. So I like to get those years best of anthologies. I love the ones edited by Ellen Datlow. But what I find is that in the in the rare occasion when like a Native American character is in the book, usually it's a secondary character. Or whether sympathetic or scary, it's it's the kind of the antagonized force. And I'm thinking of actually a, a story that I really enjoyed. It was an Indian giver. Uh, it was published in 2015 in the best horror of the year. Oh, actually, I think uh, Stephen Graham Jones had a story in that one uh, about like universal horror. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I digress. Um, so uh, this story is is two two white guys are talking to each other and telling each other the story that they experienced this native family who was you know violently murdered by white guys and. Without giving too much spoilers, obviously this causes trouble. Um, there's ghosts involved, maybe ghosts, something involved. It's supernatural. But it is a story that is told between two white characters, where even though they're sympathetic, the native characters are secondary. And what I'd really like to see is more horror that kind of centers us as, as the main characters, um, you know, experiencing a wide variety of fears. Uh, so that kind of draws to the point, like usually we're secondary. I can remember thinking of Wendigos. I was watching this, this short, like horror anthology TV show. And there was this show about a Wendigo and there was like one native character and he told the white family, 
oh my gosh, the Wendigo is here. And then he got killed off. It was like, okay, so you're just there to be like the info dump, telling the white family that they're about to be like cannibalized. And then, then they get rid of him. It's like, our viewers don't care about that guy. They can't relate it. I don't know. But I do wish there was, there was more like making us the main characters <laughs> and not necessarily like focusing on any one type of horror, just like putting us in scary experiences and stuff. I would, I would love that. <laughs> sort of the, the sort of running the gamut of, you know, not just having culture represented, but just being people who are the main characters who happen to be from one group or another. Yeah, exactly. So it it always seems kind of weird to me that, that when you have some of these stories where exactly what you say, right, the character shows up and he's like, oh, this thing is serious. And then he dies. It's almost like it. it's like the narrative's trying to tell us like this is authentic, y'all. This is this is very serious and authentic. And that's that's all the work it wants to do, but I don't know if it quite gets there. Yeah, and I I almost think that this would be my my end of this comment, but it's almost because we're not expected to be the main audience for this. So um, I mean, I guess I understand that number wise, there's not many of us, but that doesn't mean we don't like horror. <laughs> Fair, yeah. Uh, what about you, Stephen? Where do you kind of fall in on all this? I agree with that. that. Yeah, what Darcy was saying about demographics, I think when the studio greenlights a project, they look at the target audience for it, and if the target audience is you know, 99% non-Indian, then they don't feel compelled to tell a story or to greenlight a story with an Indian as a protagonist. You know? So we, we do, therefore, become kind of ancillary characters. We, come, we become devices like, like, like Nathan and Darcy are both saying, that um, we're there to deliver exposition, or we're there to be a faceless horde of cannibals or headhunters or something, or or were the the mystic out in the desert who someone goes to for enlightenment or something, and we were there for ten minutes, and we we say some stupid stuff and don't use contractions. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I wish um, I wish that that yeah we could be at the center of the horror stories. That's what I'm trying to do, of course. I'm sure it's what Darcy and Nathan are trying to do, and I think the key to that is to let us be characters in stories or make us be characters in stories where our defining characteristic is not our Indianness. People don't come to us to say, what does this legend mean? Or um, what, what is, where's the secret cave in this mountain or anything like that? If we just get to be people, I think that's the biggest, most important step. So I have a question then uh, springing out of what you, you were all just saying and uh, the the point how the you know, if you you know uh, indigenous characters are in the story it, it's either you know, along with what you're just saying it's certainly secondary uh, and B uh, also is the you know somehow the possibly the explanatory figure for the force that's creating the problem which itself is going to be you know linked to them and I was racking my brains trying to come up trying to think of you know something that you know, examples that didn't do that and I you know and it's so rare you're absolutely right I mean I. I was virtually uh, the only uh, film, like film, for instance, I can think of that has indigenous characters um, and the supernatural force that's not linked to them is the car. And, and we're going back to 1977. I'm wondering, uh, so then in your work, along with the centering that you're talking about, what about the, well, the, the supernatural force that, or, you know, if, if there's going to be one, what kind of approaches do you like taking with that? Do you, do you want that to be uh, culturally specific as well or, uh, or or not so much? I think when you do make it culturally specific, which is, you know, fine to do, of course, you do kind of um, stumble into territory about 
is this a clan story? Can I tell this story? Am I, right. am I selling my culture out just for, you know, whatever I get for this contract? So it's definitely an issue. Um, I think in all of my stuff, I never feel like I know any clan stories, any secret stuff. So, um, you know, my Indian protagonists just end up fighting werewolves and zombies and witches and stuff like that, you know? I have to say, all right, so my, my partner is Navajo. And I, I listen to a lot of creepy pasta as well as, as things that are published. And, and there's one, one thing that non-Navajo writers really like to use that I would never use because, because of my experience with my partner, I kind of respect their culture enough to stay away from it. And it's like the skinwalker. So to a certain respect, I am aware that there are some things that I personally don't want to put in my fiction because either because they are sacred to not necessarily my tribe, but other tribes, or because they are sacred to my tribe. But I mean, for the, for the most part, though, there aren't any, our ceremonies, at least the ones that I know that I, that I don't generally talk about, they aren't scary. They're, they're positive type ceremonies. So those wouldn't be good for horror anyway. But yeah, I do have to keep in mind uh, sometimes the significance of some of these, you know, often used monsters. I mean, like I hear about skinwalkers and way too many creepypastas and they always just, it seems like they have no idea necessarily what they're talking about. It's like, oh, it's a Navajo werewolf and that's, it's not really, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, I guess that, that's my, my view on it. Yeah, yeah. Since since my since my werewolf novel Mongrels, it seems like every other interview I do, people ask me about Blackfeet skinwalkers. I always have to say it's not us, you know. Um, and well, number one, that's not us. Number two, I would never write about skinwalkers, you know. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Nathan? Do you where do you fit in on all this? I think my monsters, because uh, I've written uh, from the perspective of indigenous monsters, like from in, like Anishinaabe folklore, right? I've written from the perspective of Wendigo. So what I was thinking is that. For indigenous horror as like a genre, it's weird that any of the horrors that you can think of that happen in horror movies, a lot of that has happened to indigenous people or still is happening. So the horror that that is in mainstream horror is like the thing to be afraid of. Those things are real things for indigenous people. So then when it comes to writing my own horror, I'm like, well, the real bad shits all happen. So it's like the monster is not the real monster. It's always, for me, in my stories anyway, it's always like the humans are like the worst people. Like they're they're the real monsters. And then the monsters are just like, just the force of nature or something. And then the real monsters are people. This is an interesting, because I I remember sort of on that same idea that I think it was N.K. Jemison had said this on Twitter, like, you know, something to keep in mind is from a lot of African-American perspectives is that dystopia is already here because it already happened for them in this sort of horrific way. And so there's a sense that I guess for many people, a lot of what is horrific has already happened. And it it's interesting to like, from my perspective, to have to retool and rethink about my own existence in that context, like thinking about how other people already are viewing the sort of horrors of humanity in a very different way because of the history that's there. But that also, I suppose uh, all of you would agree on some level that, that that human nature to do horrific things to itself it is great fodder for horror in general. I, I mean, I'm reading it right now, so it, it seems like people in that are really all very horrific. But yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that's that's where a lot of you very much stand. Yeah, no, people are, like Nathan was saying, people are always the worst monsters. Every every zombie movie you watch, at the end of it, you realize it's the people who are locked behind the walls who are the monstrous ones. The zombies are just a force of nature. That's a great point. Yeah, 28 Days Later comes to mind for me for that one. <laughs> yeah. 
they're good they're good metaphors to zombies because the the zombies are always in like a shopping mall and they're just like mindless like shoppers and they're like it's just a metaphor for like i know commercialism and like i know modern life i guess (laughs) everyone's a zombie going about (laughs) their daily life yeah um i have to say that so I, I, when I read horror stories, I, de- I don't necessarily like to be disturbed to the point where like I start reliving negative experiences in my life. And for that reason, I really prefer to, to read the supernatural type stuff because, boy, with my dealings with other people, yeah, they really are, that really has been um, some pretty terrible experiences. But when I do, do write horror stories, I find myself putting my own personal horrors into them almost like i'm exercising them exorcising yeah like not exercising (laughs) uh, so uh, in this year i I had a couple of them the the famine king um it deals a lot with the way that society will treat somebody who has mental illness in the whalebone parrot uh i really put the the way that the lip-on culture uh, has been crushed underfoot i kind of exercise those demons into the story but yeah I, i do find Although I'm not a misanthropist, so I do I do think that as a scientist, I find humans to be fascinating. Like we're very intelligent, we're we're fun to observe socially, and I do love people, certain people. But also being a, a I'm I describe myself as queer. I am in a queer relationship, so even from my own native family, I've gotten a lot of of pushback from from people who who think that I'm going to hell, you know? So I I do find that a lot of times the things that disturb me most and most horrific for me are caused by other people and the cruelty of other people. I think that's been one of the strengths that people pointed out about horror fiction film and so forth in that it is a a very powerful but also useful way of, of telling stories that might be too painful to do with without the language of the fantastic, uh, or, or or a kind of symbolic or metaphorical approach. And sometimes a horror will be a way of. I mean, for instance, a movie like Death Dream, which uh, is arguably the first film to deal with a Vietnam vet, you know, returning and suffering from the, the you know post traumatic disorder, just done in a zombie story. Uh, so horror can start often starts being able to tell stories that other kinds of fiction can't quite get to yet, or, or might be, as, as you say, Darcy, just too awful to have to deal with without that format, I guess. You know, and it also, it also it makes it more entertaining, entertaining for the reader, I think. Like, if, if I write a story about the time my uncle came down the road to our house and fought with my dad while we were watching basketball, that's going to be kind of a bummer story. But if I tell a story about we're trying to watch a basketball game and a zombie breaks through the door, that's an interesting, that's an interesting story, I think. And readers can hook into the horror elements like the icing on a cake, you know, and then they can be lured into feeling the emotions that I maybe felt watching that happen, you know? That That's interesting. So in some way, maybe thinking of, of horror as, because of the what David's saying, this kind of the supernatural can be a metaphoric and also could become a way of tuning the reader's emotions to experiences that, as metaphor, right? They, in the real sense, they may not have grasped on, but in the horror sense, they can attach their emotions to something and sort of becomes like a proxy in a way. Yeah, 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 a little bit. That's a really cool way of thinking about horror. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go watch a horror movie later tonight. <laughs> I'm gonna have a very different perspective. Yeah, David has given me a long list. Uh, and I'm working my way through it. So 
Okay. Well, um, so I guess one of the other things I kind of wanted to turn us to is, so before we kind of switch to totally from the kind of the writing side of it in terms of representation, um, I did want to kind of gently backtrack to something that come up a couple of times, which is the use of indigenous cultures um, broadly defined, because, you know, each of you has to some degree mentioned this, that, you know, there there are issues of, of sacredness that are involved in many of these cultural elements. And they are used sometimes in horror or not in ways that perhaps don't respect the culture and where it comes from. And I noticed that all, pretty much all of you had said on some level that there are certain things from other cultures you just you would never use those things. And I guess the question I'm asking as we kind of gear maybe ourselves towards the more very writing centered side of, of what I think our discussion will go to is how, how do we convey the seriousness of, of these usages to people who maybe don't have immediate connections to these various cultures so that there's sort of an understanding of, of what the real problem is of using things that don't necessarily belong to you? I mean, it's sort of like a long way of saying, like, how do we address the problem of cultural appropriation? I guess if you're practicing your own culture, if you're if you're using something you know about, like um, I don't know, like a story that you've been told and it's part of your culture, and you're 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 embellishing it or you're working with that, um, that's part of your culture. So you're kind of like allowed to do that. But then if you're from outside of a culture and then you're going in and you come across some story that you find interesting, and then you're going to take that story and you're going to use it and you're going to tell tell some story, but then you don't if you don't have a connection or knowledge about where that story is coming from you, there's going to be a disconnect between uh, the story you're telling and the story as it's originally its original play so if you don't have that kind of like background or information then you're going to be screwing things up probably probably <laughs> probably <laughs> okay uh presumably right i mean most people maybe because if you don't do the research you really don't know what you're talking about but even then do you think you can do you think research is enough or is there always going to be that disconnect? Mm, there's probably still going to be a disconnect. But um, I guess I, I, if, you, if you do approach it in the right way, I, there probably are ways to approach things and do it right. But it's just, it's just more challenging, I think, if you're, it's not, if you're not coming at it from uh, yeah, the right. Okay, fair. Uh, what about you, Darcy? Where, where do you stand on this? Oh, <laughs> I, I was just reminded of, I, re I once read a short story in a haunted house anthology, and there was one line was like, the Apache believe in a death goddess name, and like they made up this name as like in some, some mythology about the Milky Way. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I do not believe that, and I'm not aware of any Apache group who, who believes that. So uh, I think that uh, one way to kind of avoid these issues is to if you if you aren't necessarily writing about your own culture, maybe instead of writing what it's like to be, you know, spiritually this group, maybe just put like a Native American in a situation that doesn't involve their uh, religion or, or anything that is like necessarily culturally specific that you would need to do a lot of research for. It's like you could you could make Native characters in a situation that's completely uh, not related to their. I don't want to. I guess the word nativeness almost, but I, I think that that calls back to an earlier point um, that Stephen made. Uh, but yeah, it, it's difficult to do uh, enough research to really, really capture a culture that you're completely unfamiliar with, especially I know with the Lip on Apache, there's not a lot about us available on the internet, or, or even if you were to go to a library, you, you couldn't find much about us. So you'd have to be doing a lot of inventing 
Um, and that often just makes me roll my eyes. Like you can't really, you can't really tell somebody you can't, you can't write that. You can't do that. There's often a lot of pushback. Uh, I know for one that a lot of, a lot of white writers are, are really upset that people are asking them to think about uh, whether they're appropriating or not, because they, they almost sometimes consider it to be, oh, it's, they're stomping on my freedom of speech, which really isn't the issue. It's not like we're trying to make a law against a certain type of story, which is, you know, I'm just asking you to maybe be considerate or, or realize that if you get this stuff wrong, you're going to have some readers who just like roll their eyes and say, there's no such goddess. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. If you, yeah. You're going to be open to um, criticism because you can't stand, say on one, on the one side, um, it's my right to freedom of expression to tell this story however I want. But then if people, and then complain when people com are critical of how you told that story when it's like, it's got issues or it's, it's, it's all messed up, right? So it, it, it's the other side of the coin where you can't just go around saying, oh, it's my, my freedom of expression because then, well, it's other people's freedom of expression to criticize you when you're like, yeah, tell some terrible story. So <laughs> yeah, interesting how that works, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is interesting, too, because there's I don't know if if it's just like a weird white American thing, but like this immunity to the realization of how damaging history has been to various people and not wanting to acknowledge how that damage is still maybe being perpetuated by doing a lot of the things that Darcy's talking about. And it seems like the freedom of speech argument is just sort of like that's the only response they have left. It seems to be a deep resentment to the idea that, you know, having the Wendigo in a story is not the same thing as having a centaur. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One one is, is part of an actual tradition. And as far as I'm aware, they're nobody. They're centaurs. They're not real. Oh, I've Are never they? seen one. I mean, I'm a scientist. I'd know. You would know. Yeah, you would know if their centaurs are real. Uh, let's jump to you, Steve, and kind of get your perspective on all of this. Uh, yeah, I think it's very in line with what um, Nathan and Darcy were, Darcy were saying that when when somebody reaches into like a grab bag of horror tropes, horror characters, horror monsters, or whatever, and they do consider the Skinwalker and the Wendigo to be on the same level as a werewolf or a vampire, and they pull it out and they do appropriate it, and they like say they use a Skinwalker and they become it, and whatever they write is a hit, you know, and they become the expert on the Skinwalker then they're silencing some um, Navajo writer out there who could have been the expert on the skinwalker. And I think that that silencing is a form of violence. Definitely. It's appropriating someone's voice or someone's potential voice, I guess. But I guess if I follow that argument out to it's, I don't know, logical extreme, then I end up in a situation where I can't write about leprechauns, you know, and I, I might, I might want to write about leprechauns. <laughs> um, so that's kind of, it's kind of problematic. Um, I think I would, you know, people who want to write about um, skinwalkers, Wendigos, whatever, I think I would ask them what their motivations are. And I think 99% of the non-native people who do it are doing it because they think that's really cool, you know? Um, whereas if someone comes from a culture or tradition where skinwalkers are real then they're going to write about skinwalkers in a timid way in a scared way and i think that's going to be more effective on the page finally and so i don't think you should write about them because you think they're cool i think you should write about them because you're legitimately scared of them which is i mean i would like to say that i don't write about them 
I don't write about skinwalkers out of respect. I would like to frame myself as that kind of good person, but to tell you the truth, I'm just scared of them. I don't want them coming for me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a good good reason. That's a pretty good reason, yeah. Another side of this that I kind of want to come to, because we're talking sort of the the creation of narrative and, and the kind of problems that can kind of exist there, but I know there are other issues at work here in terms of representation from the actual writing perspective, like people being represented. And I was, as a kind of way of introducing us to that, uh, getting your perspectives on where you think uh, indigenous representation in terms of the writing field more broadly is within horror. Yeah, I think it's, I think, who was, I think Nathan was saying this first, maybe that um, we are just devices and stories right now. And now that there's getting to be more of us out there writing horror, we are moving to the center of stories and becoming actual characters instead of just meat to be fed into a grinder or coin drop characters that just say the same thing every time you walk past them, you know? So I think we're on the, on the road to becoming actual three-dimensional people in the horror story, which is wonderful. Not, which isn't to say we can't die and do terrible things. I think it's very important that we do terrible things, that sometimes we're the, the bad guy, the malicious force, the monstrousness in the story. I, I don't think we can only be good guys and victims. You know, sometimes we're bad guys. And I think, to me, that's kind of an indication of when we're there to stay, when we can play whatever role in the horror story that we want to play, that we don't have to be confined to being this or that. We can just be anything at all. No, that's what I'm looking forward to. Excellent, excellent. What about you, Darcy? I'm trying to think, like, in terms of the percentage of people who are getting published who would identify with any sort of, like, I would say Native American or even Indigenous worldwide, I'm not sure, but I, I suspect it's a very low number. It would be neat to do, like, uh, what was it, Fireside Fiction did, like, a black spec report where they actually tried to look at numbers it would be a, a little more difficult though with native people because there's a lot of different groups of us so for example maybe apache writers are getting published but not as many navajo writers just like for example and that does make a difference because we're not a monolith but I, I do think that there is there is a need out there to kind of take a look at the numbers and, and see maybe what we can do to improve improve those numbers and make it more accessible to, to a new generation of horror writers or even science fiction fantasy writers, most spec genres. But yeah, um, I, I haven't found many. Uh, we, there are very few of us, but, but still, I would love to read some more. <laughs> you know, and I, th- I think the reason that there there are seeming few of us is that the critics, the you know, the both the book reviewers and the academics, they reward those writers who kind of self-consciously draw upon the oral tradition or look back to history or deal with um, identity politics and all the stuff that the critics are built to dissect. So their tools are ready for those kind of stories. Their tools are not ready for the kind of stories we're writing. They they consider they think we should like if if literature is going to be a tree. I think that the critics want us to stay close to the trunk where everything is um, safe. They don't want us to go out under the branches under horror and science fiction and fantasy because I think they feel like then we lose whatever it is that's Indian about our works. But I mean, I don't feel that way, of course, but I I feel that pressure. (laughs) Well, this is interesting because this is, uh, this question was like my, my sneaky way of getting to something, uh, Stephen, that you had said uh, in an, in an interview was looking at, uh, there's a book as like a, a critical a critical uh, collection about about you. It's just a collection of interviews. And I know at one point you you have a piece in there that's about 
the the issue of how one identifies as a writer and the problems that sometimes publishing can produce by wanting to sort of essentialize people's identities as writers. And I thought that was really interesting because it's not something that that we I think we often talk about in terms of of writing and it sort of ties into this idea that you're talking about with the tree this notion that there is a sort of set of critical faculties at work it wants people to stay at this this one position where it's sort of identif- identifiable pieces but once you sort of escape that you ne- can't necessarily be stuck into that box in- as easily right it takes more like mental contortions to sort of be like well is this person still to take Darcy's example an apache writer even though they're not writing about apache issues I think I just honestly just answered the question I was going to ask you. So darn it. <laughs> but it, it, is it as if there's almost like a like a Venn diagram of two widely separated circles? Now you've got a circle of critics who are going to be uh, uh, who will be paying attention to indigenous stories, but but for whom genre fiction is uh, unmentionable. And then it's the other way around with the other circle that the the the, the, the genre critics are not are uh, won't won't know to look for or be aware of indigenous stories. Possibly, yeah. I do think that the the genre critics are more accepting, probably because I think the genre critics, and this could be an essentialization myself. I feel like they're less driven by um, the academy, by the by the university. Um, genre critics tend to operate more in the popular media, I think, and for that reason, they can be more broad in their scope. They don't they don't have to worry about weird people who like horror knocking the gates down you know those those weird people who knock the gates down who like horror that's the market you know but the you know, mm-hmm. the, the academy doesn't think it has to worry about the market it has to worry about i don't know history I don't know, whatever it worries about i don't really know what it worries about but it's something it's something that's not horror okay all right well i and nathan you've been a little bit quiet and that's because we haven't come to you yet so i just want to get you in on this <laughs> I guess it's just important for Indigenous people to tell their own stories, and we don't really need other people to be telling our stories. There's there's lots of us around, and there's more and more great Native writers, Indigenous writers around that you, people can go read. Um, so that's just the point I wanted to make. <laughs> no, fair enough, fair enough. I think that's a good point. Okay. Uh, David, do you want to ask another question? Uh, I don't know. I guess perhaps um, more generally, are there a particular... Um, Sort of things that are that are happening in the field right now that uh, you find exciting. Uh, well, I guess you know. Do, do you see? Um, I guess I, I don't know if I want to say you know to movement forward, but are there? Um, I mean, the just wondering about. Yeah, it occurred to me what Darcy was saying. That boy, it'd be great to see more anthologies of, of, of this kind of thing. Maybe just to, to bring it back to you, is there a particular work that you're engaged in right now that uh, you'd like to be telling us about? You know, I think to answer the first part of the question, um, I think that. Get Out's success, it made so much money and got got so much critical acclaim, I'm hoping that cracks the door open a little for publishers and studios to take chances on horror that would not have gotten made even three or five years ago. And I hope I can sneak through that cracked open door. And I hope a lot of us can sneak through that cracked open door. Yeah, I would be very interested in, in something along the lines of Get Out from an indigenous perspective. That'd be very, very interesting. <laughs> Everyone get out. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just joking. I don't really feel that way. <laughs> as long as we get to use contractions, I want to use contractions. <laughs> no, well, fair enough. Um, what about anyone else? Does anyone else have, I mean, is there are there certain aspects of horror that are, you know, really exciting for you at this, this moment or something that you're really excited that you're working on currently? Um. So this is kind of related to 
you know, get out being a movie. But my embarrassing secret is that I really love found footage movies, even like bad ones. Um, and they're so easy to make. There's so many of them. So found footage, documentary style stuff. I really, if anyone hasn't watched Lake Mungo, I have to say that's my favorite documentary style. So I think it would be pretty cool if like more of those were made with, with native characters and they don't take a big budget. So maybe Kickstarter some of those. Yeah, I think we could, we could get Wes Studi in one of these. That'd be great. Uh, he did do an interesting, uh, I've not finished it yet, but it was many years ago, um, a series of, they're basically like feature-length films that they're made for, for television, and I believe the series was called Skinwalkers, but yeah, it, it's yeah. not supernatural in the slightest. Um, it's just sort of like a detective mystery, but set on... Um, Navajo. Yeah, Navajo Reservation. Yeah, it's, it's Tony Hillerman's novels, his mystery novels. That's right, yeah. And I thought they were really, really good. Yeah, that, that was him, that was him and Adam Beach, I think. Yeah, yeah. So it, that's something that people may be interested in watching because it it certainly gets to some of the stuff we're talking about about sort of uh, narratives from the perspective of people just sort of being people, and a lot of what happens in those stories is just he's literally solving murder mysteries, and that's he's just dealing with the lives that people lead, which I think is pretty interesting. So kind yeah. of uh, related to that, the Hillerman series. I was on the uh, the the res actually like a month ago. Um, and my partner's mother, we were at a trading post and she found that book series and she was like, okay, so he's not, he's not native, but these are really good. So she, she bought me the first, the first one. I need to read it. it I think it's called Skin, uh, Skinwalker. Uh, it doesn't have a, a real Skinwalker in it, she said, cause these are, these are mysteries. But, um, so yeah, that, that's the, uh, the T's mother seal of approval right there for what it's <laughs> worth. <laughs> Small victories, yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, excellent. Uh, okay, so uh, does anyone have any any last quick thoughts before we kind of start to close out? Um, anything that we maybe didn't cover that you really think that we should? Yeah, no, I have I have one comment. Um, the things I'd like to see is I, I I like hard to have characters where I can identify with them a little bit in order to be more frightened when scary things happen. Uh, and I myself am a, a nerd. So, I mean, I have a PhD. I sequenced a phytoplankton transcriptome. I'm pretty pretty nerdy i would like to see more nerdy native characters uh in the mix uh kind of there aren't as many as i'd like <laughs> they, they aren't necessarily the stereotype <laughs> fair what what about everyone else what what i mean we'll use that as our final question because i think that's great is what do you really want to see out of horror uh i think uh looking towards like work by people that is uh, getting away from like getting bogged down in colonialism and just being sad all the time about all this hist negative history stuff, but just telling other stories, stories that aren't tied down by that baggage. I mean, it'll be there anyway, regardless whether you're you're addressing it. But like, um, there's like, and there's some really great authors doing that kind of stuff. Like, um, Eden Robinson just came out with a new book, Son of a Trickster, and it's going to be a trilogy, and it's an awesome like horror urban fantasy and i'm just really excited to read that um there's a great horror director jeff barnaby he, he made an awesome film rhymes for young ghouls which is amazing and you'll should all see it um there's also like just other things happening in the genre world uh, like uh don dumont's uh roses run which is like it isn't horror at all well it has a little bit of a super supernatural storyline in it but then it's like it's just like a romantic comedy basically at its core but it doesn't get bogged down in a lot of that yeah being sad all the time so so it just uh, like a breath of fresh air when you read good work by yeah by the people yeah 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I'm. I am tired of seeing tragic, sad victim Indians all the time in stories. You know, and people do talk about all stories should you know consciously resist colonialism and all that. But I really think that simply by putting real Indians on the page that is resisting colonialism. That's saying that we are real people and we are still here. And that's, if I've been, if I've ever wanted to do anything in my fiction, that's basically it. I mean, number one, I want to hide around this corner and scare people. But number, <laughs> but num- number two, I want to say that I'm real, that my people are real, you know? Yeah. And I, I guess on some level, it kind of goes back to uh, once more that, that tree idea, because there is some degree to which what we're talking about that, what, what Nathan's talking about and you, Stephen, this notion that these certain types of stories are the right kinds of story. And those are the ones that are real serious and they deal with the big serious issues. But there are other kinds of stories to be told. Well, awesome. Okay, so I uh, want to take a minute to let you guys let everybody know, you know where they can find you and any of your most recent work. So I'll just start from left to right. Um, we'll start with you, Stephen. Where can folks find you? And what would you like to let folks know about your most recent work? They can find me on Twitter, just Stephen Graham Jones, uh, SGJ72. My most recent two works are Mapping the Interior. It's a family living off the reservation, and the dead dad comes back to kind of mess things up. And my other book that just came out the same month as that one, which was June, I guess, maybe July, is My Hero. It's a comic book. It's a kind of experimental form comic book. Ooh, exciting. Awesome. All right, Darcy, what about you? All right, um, so I'm actually, because I I, I have to make an actual author web, website now, so I'm in the process of making that. But in the meantime, I do most of my social media activity on Twitter uh, with the name Shining Comic. That's the word Shining, S-H-I-N-I-N-G, and Comic, C-O-M-I-C. And can I just say hi to my mom and dad? <laughs> hi, mom yes, and dad. I'm like famous. I'm on the internet. <laughs> They've always supported me. Thank you. All right, moving on. <laughs> well, what about your, uh, you just had a story or something come out, right? Oh, yeah, the Whalebone Parrot. It, it's in the Dark Magazine. It came out on the 1st of October. And actually, I love I love um, magazines where you could read it online because that way there's no, no economic barrier to accessing them. So just Google the Dark Magazine. Um, it's the first one up there because it's the October issue. And it's it's about actually a Lipan Apache orphan, uh, a Victorian ghost story where she's an orphan of the Lipan extermination, but she's actually in an island in the Atlantic. So it's not a Western. It's in the East. I can't I can't read Westerns anymore. Too many of them have Apache characters in them. <laughs> but uh, check it out. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I I was just honored to be part of that magazine because I've been reading it for so long and. Um, it was just a great experience. Fantastic. Awesome. And then, Nathan, it's now your turn. So where can folks find you, and what would you like to let them know about your most recent work? Uh, okay. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I have a blog at Nathan Adler blog at wordpress.com. Um, my most recent story, short was recent work is a short story called, um, uh, what was it? Mm, no, it was in uh, Love, Love Beyond Body, Space and Time. It was it's an indigenous LGBT sci-fi anthology published by Bedside Press. Before that, my book came out, Wrist. It's um, published by Kegadance uh, Press. Um, I'm also working on a anthology of um, of stories by indigenous writers. It's a dream themed anthology, and it, it's open. The open call for submissions is open till. Um, 
October 31st. So if anyone's listening and they have a story they want to submit, you can uh, find uh, the you can you can submit through uh, Submittable. Um, just look for uh, Bologican, uh Stories of Power. It's B A W A J A N Bologican. Uh, so that it means dream in Anishinaabe Moen. So, uh, yeah, please submit if you got a story. Yep. And that's what I'm working on. Awesome. And we'll make sure there's links in the show notes for that so that people can find it. Also worth noting that the uh, Love Beyond Body, Space, and Time is edited by Hope Nicholson, who we've also talked to. So there's an episode where he's on there talking yeah. comic. So, she's, so. she's really cool. She was great to work with, too. I got the impression that she was pretty awesome. Yep. And also... Stephen Light, he also has a website, stephengramjones.net. So you can go there and you can find out all about his book. Well, um, so thanks all of you very much for, for coming on talking uh, about a lot of some of these issues and, and this topic. I really appreciate your time. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Awesome. And uh, yeah, so if you guys have any uh, comments or questions, you can let us know, skiffyfanty at gmail.com, or we'll be on Twitter. And on that note, awkward ending and scene. <laughs> listening to the show if you'd like to get in touch with us you can find us at skiffy and at gmail.com on twitter at skiffy and on facebook at the skiffy and show and on patreon at patreon.com slash skiffy and our intro and outro music comes from the launch by chronux you can find out more about their music at freemusicarchive.org